Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and on this episode, Bishop talks about the patron saint of mental health, Saint Dymphna. Born in the 7th century, she was killed by her mentally unstable father when she was just 15, and she's now known for her intercession for those suffering from mental disorders. Then we also celebrate the Feast of St. Christopher this month, but not St. Christopher, patron saint of travelers. This St. Christopher was canonized in 2000 and was martyred for his membership in the Cristero movement. The show wraps up with Bishop's reflection on Pentecost Sunday. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. We've got uh, Pentecost coming up. We've got a couple saints to talk about. Excited to to join you today. Thanks for being here. Oh, you're welcome, Kyle. It's good as always to be with you and and our listeners. Yeah. Did you know that the apostles drove a Honda? Have you heard that? No, I never heard that. Yeah. Well, it's. I in thought scr- they drove a Toyota. In Scripture, it says, "When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one accord." <laughs> so, where do you get these? <laughs> <laughs> I looked at Pentecost jokes. <laughs> Do you have an opening prayer Maybe for us today? Maybe I'll use that at the opening of my homily on Pentecost <laughs> <Okay>. Sunday. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Why do you have don't we opening... pray the come Holy Spirit because Pentecost is, the solemnity is this Sunday. Very good. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and they shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant us in the same spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, well, before we talk about Pentecost, uh, there's a couple saints that you mentioned talking about a St. Christopher that I am not really familiar with, not the the legendary one that may or may not have exist, existed, the patron saint of travelers. Uh, but before we get to that, St. Dymphna, which I feel like I hadn't heard of her until maybe a couple years ago, four or five years ago, and I, it seems like she comes up more and more often. Is this... Is this true or is this my perception of... Oh, she's definitely uh, growing in popularity. I I can tell because, you know, the confirmation candidates, um, I've seen the name Dymphna increasingly through the years. Hmm. You know, she's the patron saint of those with who are mentally ill or have nervous disorders, patron saint of those with anxiety. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of representative of the increase that we're seeing in society of these maladies. So a lot of people don't know much about her life other than the fact that that she's the patron saint of people with uh, mental illness. And you mentioned there being an increase. Do you think there's actually an increase of anxiety in the world, or do you think it's a more of an awareness of people having anxiety and there's a there's ways to deal with that through counseling or medication? I think both. I mean, I think um, from what I've read in various medical uh, studies, there is an increase. I think part of it, I mean, we could talk a long time. Uh, I'm not a mental uh, health care expert, but I do think that 
some of it is, you know, with the um, social media, mm -hmm. with the cell phones, et cetera, and some of the um, lack of some healthy outlets that are normally there, even this past year with the pandemic. I think there's various causes, but my experience from talking to people is there's definitely an increase in anxiety and, and also depression. Hmm. So her feast day was on Saturday. So every May 15th, we celebrate the Feast of St. Divna. What do we know about her? Well, I think what surprised me, because I did do some research on her, because I wasn't that familiar with her. I didn't know that she was from Ireland. Hmm. And um, she lived in the 7th century. And her mother was a devout Catholic, but her, her father was pagan. He was one of these local, what they called petty kings. Um, <laughs> and what... Uh, happened was her mother died. Well, she had already made at the age of 14, Dymphna had consecrated herself to Christ and took a vow of chastity. And her mother died and her father's name was Damon and he loved his wife very much. And he was devastated by his wife's death. And this affected his mental health. He, His mental health deteriorated terribly. So those who were uh, advisors to the king said he needed to remarry. And he agreed, but he wanted a wife that would be as beautiful as his wife who died. And he couldn't find one and except for his own daughter hmm. who resembled her, uh, her mother. So this kind of would have been an incestuous uh, relationship. And Dymphna learned about this. Of course, her father was mentally ill, right. you know, and she fled along with a priest who was her confessor, and they went to what is today Belgium, and they took refuge there in a town called Giel. And then there's various traditions about what happened, but some say that she built a hospice for the sick and the poor in that region. And um, that also involved helping people who were mentally ill. Hmm. In any event, uh, her father discovered where she was. And he sent his agents, and he traveled there, too, to get his daughter. And she resisted his advances, and um, he wanted to force her to go back to Ireland. And uh, he got so angry, he, he drew his sword and, and beheaded his own daughter. So she was a martyr. Hmm. They also wow. killed the priest. And she was only 15 years old at the time. And I think that's part of the reason why she's popular with teenagers mm -hmm. at confirmation. It's interesting at that point, the people in Giel, you know, had recognized her holiness and they decided to build a, a church there in her honor. This was built centuries later in the medieval times, but, but even not long after she died, there was, uh, you know, in, in a cave where she had been buried, there was devotion there. In any event, this church was built in the 1400s and... Um, a lot of people would come there on pilgrimage, especially people who had mental illnesses. And then there were some stories circulating that they were cured, they were healed. So Giel became kind of famous for all these mentally ill people who would, who would come there as pilgrims. And the people of the city welcomed these mentally ill people. That's what's mm. kind of remarkable. And they didn't call them patients. They called them boarders because the people of the of the town would invite them to live in their homes, kind of like foster homes. And some of the 
these uh, mentally ill people stayed a little while. Others stayed their whole lives. So the population of the city grew, and it had all of these um, mentally ill people. And so for hundreds of years, this took place. Even now, now the numbers have gone way down. I think there's maybe 250 there now mentally ill people. But but at one time, there were thousands. And um, so it's really, it's kind of a forerunner of modern psychiatric community programs. This was right. basically a, a pioneering thing. And I just find it fascinating, this, this, uh, this story of, of what happened in that Belgian village. And, um, and it was really the charity that the people would welcome the mentally ill into their village and into their homes. And there have been studies by doctors or researchers about this. And in many cases, they found how good this was because... When you have a, a whole community welcoming and helping those who are mentally ill, treating them with love, this in itself was therapeutic mm. rather than just putting people away in what they would call an insane asylum. Mm -hmm. So I, I found it very, very fascinating. I mean, I didn't even know about this until recently. If I was you know, ever going to visit Belgium, and I've been to Belgium, I would love to visit there and see what, what's happening. Um, so it's still going on? It's still going on, yeah. Huh. yeah. But it all began with this uh, story of, of, of St. Dymphna. And I think it would be related to both the fact of her father's mental illness, but also stories about how she perhaps started this hospice for the mentally ill. Historically, it's, it's hard to figure that out, but that's a possibility. But, but definitely not long after her death there were reported cures of people who had mental illness who had had gone there to Giel and prayed at her tomb. Hmm. And then in succeeding centuries, as more and more came, and I guess you can call what happened to that town a miracle in itself, a town that became devoted to helping those with mental illness. Yeah. And there's a, a shrine in Ohio to her, apparently, um, Massillon, Ohio, about 55 miles south of Cleveland. Yeah, it's a national shrine of St. Dymphna at St. Mary's Catholic Church. I've okay. never been there. It's, it's, um, I understand it has a first-class relic of St. Dymphna. Hmm. So what is a national shrine? And does it, is that a certain delegation? Like, or do yeah, all these they, shrines compete to be the national shrine? Well, the U.S. Uh, Conference of Catholic Bishops would have to designated as such. Okay. Um, I mean, a bishop in his own diocese can set up a, a diocesan shrine, uh -huh. um, but for a national shrine, it would need the approval of the, uh, of the bishop's conference, just like an international shrine would need the approval of, of the Vatican, of the Holy See. Okay. International shrines. Right. In, did I say? No, no, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 International so, shrine. Are there any international oh, shrines yeah. in yeah. the United States? That's a good question. I don't think so, but I can't say that with a hundred percent. Something like Fatima would be an, an international, international shrine. shrine. Okay, yeah, and Lords, uh, Guadalupe, yeah. perhaps. I think it is. Yeah, I don't know. I'd okay. have to look at my list of shrines. <laughs> I, do we have a list of shrines for the diocese? No, I mean in in our diocese, um, the only diocesan shrine I think that we have is the. As Our Lady of Guadalupe in Warsaw. But then when I did some research, 
because they spoke of it as a diocesan shrine. It doesn't seem that um, Bishop Darcy, when the church was built, actually officially erected it as a diocesan shrine. So we've been looking at um, whether to do that. Okay. But in order to do so, you have to. it has to be a place of pilgrimage, and you have to have certain particular services that are offered. For huh. example, frequent confession times um, and uh, liturgical things, and a ch- kind of a cha- usually a shrine has a chaplain. So I'm not even sure that w- we would be able to staff it as would be needed for it to be an official diocesan shrine. I, sorry, I got us off on a little tangent there, but going back to mental illness, anxiety, depression, uh, you mentioned there being a lot more cases of this recently. It seems to be an increasing thing. I think COVID really escalated that with kind of isolating people and and maybe even I've, I've heard people comment on not being able to see a smile mm-hmm. and what, how that affects you, you know, going around with masks on all the time, which we're doing to protect people. It's, it's a good thing, but there's also some fallout from that as well. So what kind of resources are there for people that are struggling with different types of mental illness uh, besides prayer? And, and maybe that's another thing is, what is that balance between praying for uh, you know, your healing versus seeking help for your healing? Well, it's interesting you mention this because May is National Mental Health Awareness Month, and there are a lot of community services for those uh, struggling with mental illness. And unfortunately, for some people, it has a stigma like, mm-hmm. oh, I, it shows me that I'm weak if I go and seek help. Right. That's not the right attitude. Mental illness, is, it should be seen as any other kind of physical illness that, yeah, go to a doctor and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and get help. And there's obviously um, counseling, mental health counseling, therapy. There's also uh, medicine. And, yeah, anyone who's struggling with... Um, significant anxiety or depression or obsessive compulsive disorder, mm-hmm. whatever it might be, I highly recommend that they see, seek professional help and not to be embarrassed about it. Mm-hmm. I heard somebody had posted on social media this idea that, you know, you just need to pray harder and right. how damaging that can be for somebody. It's like if you broke your arm and told somebody, well, just pray that it, that it heals itself instead of going to the doctor and getting, you know, a cast or whatever you have to do to take care of it. Yes, prayer, you know, is a good thing and we should be praying more, but not to think that we can solve all of our physical and mental ailments through prayer. And if and if somebody is sick, then it's a result of them not praying enough. You're exactly right. And of course, the Catholic teaching is grace builds on nature and mm. we should also um, use our, our, you know, the human the human brain and, and et cetera. I mean, I think prayer is really important. Um, we have evidence that prayer actually does benefit mental health. Right. Um, and I think that's important to see. Um, obviously, God is a source of, of our comfort and strength. And we see that um, how prayer can be really, even, even when you look at some, you know, scientific things and in psychology, et cetera, they might recommend various mindfulness techniques to help people deal with stress, to cope with stress and stuff like that. Or they might say, you know, meditation. Now, as believers in Christ, 
we have such a, a richness, you know, there's, for example, the rosary, mm-hmm. um, the Jesus prayer, the divine mercy chaplet. I mean, just that, the idea of getting, of calming right. uh, the mind, et cetera, but it should be Christ-centered, you know, right. breathing in and out the Jesus prayer is a beautiful way to pray. But there's also, you know, like I said, the rosary, divine mercy chaplets, just, just taking quiet time and saying, Jesus, I trust in you. This doesn't replace the medical care that we've been talking about, but but even medical experts say that this is good for mental health. And there's a lot of studies that have been research done on this, and you can you can see it, that people who pray are less likely to experience certain anxiety-related disorders, for mm-hmm. example. Bishop James Conley, who I know, yeah. in Bishop of Lincoln, Nebraska, a really good man, how open he was a year ago mm-hmm. about his struggle with depression. Yeah. I think it was really beautiful that he was that he shared this with his people and then of course it got nationwide coverage. But he took about a year he needed to take about a year off to attend to his mental health. And he sought help. He talked to his friends. At the beginning, he wasn't seeking help. He was really, really struggling. Because mm-hmm. in his family, as many of us learn, you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, you right. know, and you don't admit that kind of weakness. You mm-hmm. have to just, you know, your own willpower to overcome it. And so that's what he was trying to do. And things were getting worse. And it happened really at the time, a couple of years ago, and you know, he was dealing with all the stresses of being a bishop, and he uh, had some particular challenges in his diocese of having to remove some priests and do some investigations in the diocese. He had to close some, I think, schools or parishes, I forget. He had a young priest in the diocese who died. And then all this stress and, and you know, all the people who write and criticize you you know, bishops and attack them and all this. So he's dealing with all this and he's a good, holy man. Mm -hmm. And all of it was getting to him. And he kept praying and he thought he could fix the problems that he, but he was getting so worn down, the pressure of it, the stress of it. Thankfully, he talked to some of his bishop friends and they encouraged him to take some time off. And he got diagnosed with major depression. Mm -hmm. And he went, uh, began counseling and medication and all that, but it wasn't enough. He needed to get away. He needed a sabbatical, so to speak. He needed to take a leave of absence for health reasons. And that's what his friends encouraged him to do. And and that's what he did. And he's very open about this. He's talked about this. He also talked, of course, to the apostolic nuncio in Washington, because you can't just, Bishop can't just do that on his own. Uh-huh. And, and the apostolic nuncio, Archbishop Pierre, was very, very supportive and that he needed a break. So he took an 11th month's sabbatical. He attended uh, sessions with a Catholic psychotherapist. He had a spiritual director and a psychologist, a medical doctor. You know, it was it was full care, and he was able to exercise and go on hikes and all that, get together with friends. And he did it outside his diocese. He did it down in, I think it was in Phoenix. And there was a family that were friends of his and he'd have dinner with them. So it was really a a recovery that took place. So he returned a few, well, I think it was in November, this past November, he returned to Lincoln and resumed his duties as a bishop. But he learned from that experience that he had to change 
some of the way he was living and working in order to maintain his mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, as soon as he got back, there were all kinds of people wanted to see him with diocesan issues and problems and everything. And I thought, poor guy, I know what that's like. Uh, But he learned that he had to say no to some of the requests. He had to, you know, not just work all the time Mm -hmm. so that he would maintain his energy. He said he learned so much from that sabbatical that, uh, that he needed a healthy balance in his life. So I think his testimony, I mean, I think it's good, not only testimony for bishops or priests, but for lay people who can be you know, overwhelmed sometimes mm-hmm. with the challenges of life. So I think hopefully that's an example for people to to be attentive to to their mental health. Well, and I think the fact that he's made all that information public and he's shared his journey unnecessarily. He, he didn't have to say why he was taking a break or he didn't have to go into details for sure. Uh, but I assume he did that to, to show people that this is okay and this is a good thing to do to take care of yourself so that you can take care of others, you know? Yeah. And, and to remove that stigma. Right, right. You know, it's sad that that stigma still is out there. I mean, it's probably less than it was years ago, but there still is some of that stigma. Yeah. And a few people have, have asked around this topic is, are, are priests taking care of themselves? Are there resources for them? Is there, I know there's screening processes for seminarians to just make sure they're in good mental health and and help them if they have any th- needs, I assume. Uh, what about our priests? Is, is there anything that we can do to help out with our priests? Or Well, yes. I mean, one of the things that's most important is if a priest is struggling, is experiencing excessive anxiety or signs of depression or or other things that they they need to let us know. They need to let me know Mm -hmm. because we do have services for them and we wanna make sure our priests are are mentally healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, priests just like you know, bishops like Bishop Connolly sometimes feel, oh, no, I don't have to get help, you know, but, and we do, we do have programs for our priests, even normally like workshops where we talk about healthy balance Mm -hmm. and the importance of exercise and good diet and enough sleep and how to deal with and cope with stress right. and anxiety. So so they do hear of that in our continuing education of priests. But I think our priests know that if they are struggling, that they can always come to me and, and receive help and we'll make sure that they're attended to. And I think too, people, I mean, not only in relationship with priests, but with others, you know, I think people should, I mean, all of us should be aware of how we can tear people down, not just priests, but others, by constant complaining and putting too much pressure in a way that's that's hurtful to the other person. You know, I think that's part of respect for others. People get worn down if they're constantly criticized or constantly bombarded with negativity, I mm-hmm. guess I would say. Yeah. And that's something in our society, in our culture, that's really... Uh, it's it's very easy to criticize, but why not affirm people too? Right, affirm people for the heart, their good work or their hard work. You know, yeah. I think that's important for sure. And I suppose on the other side of the coin, the priest probably sees a lot of things, whether it be you know talking with people in confession or maybe spiritual direction or marriage prep. Uh, probably has to be good at identifying and helping people work through some of these things. Not that they're a uh, a counselor or a therapist, but 
Uh, is there training for them to kind of help identify and, and redirect and find resources for people? Definitely. And we've done some continuing education on that, too, because when people come with mental health issues or psychological problems, it's important that uh, you know, our priests aren't psychologists. Mm-hmm. They can give spiritual counsel, mm-hmm. but their um, level of expertise, at my level of expertise, I mean, we can't be making professional diagnoses. Sure. So, so yes, we do refer. As a matter of fact, we have a counseling program with Catholic charities mm-hmm. that oftentimes we will refer people, and our priests know to do that. Um, and did that recently get kind of beefed up a little bit? Yeah, a few years ago, we yeah. really we. Um, both I and, and our priests, we, we recognize this need, and we've tried to raise money because it costs. Uh, there's no no government funding for this, so we have some Catholic charities counselors, and but we're we're trying all the time to fund it. That's why I always encourage people to be generous to Catholic charities because this is a real need. Sometimes our Catholic charities counselors will do family counseling too. Okay. And if they can't, you know, we also have a list of good Catholic psychologists and that that we can refer people to because there might be spe- especially and there might be specific areas of mental illness where they need more of a specialist in that sure. kind of mental illness. But yeah, we we referral is really important and I think priests know that it's not good to uh, to to act like a doctor in these situations. Mm-hmm. We we can act as spiritual physicians yeah. in the sense of the spiritual life and give ideas, obviously, for coping with stress and all that. But but when it comes to be, you know, an actual diagnosed mental illness, they'll refer for professional assistance. So would Catholic Charities be a good resource for people to at least call up and look for either they might be able to help or be able to, to give out resources in the area? Yeah. They might be able to help or refer. Okay, you know we just don't have enough counselors, sure. we, you know, to to handle all the the. Uh, but we have a list of of good Catholic counselors who can um, they we can refer people to as well. Okay, well, if you have any questions for Bishop, you can go to redeemerradio.com slash ask bishop or text the Holy Cross College text line at two six zero four three six. 9598. And we're going to talk about a St. Christopher from the 20th century and Pentecost Sunday, what Galatians 5 has to do with it. Coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Notre Dame Federal Credit Union has a special mission to serve the Catholic Church in America. In 2020 alone, we've served over 800 parishes, schools, and nonprofits in more than 25 dioceses nationwide. We are a member-owned, not-for-profit cooperative, working hard to create a national Catholic financial alternative to the for-profit banks. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. We talked about St. Dymphna earlier. And then you mentioned talking about St. Christopher. I don't I don't even know, is this his last name or where he's from? Magalla- Magallanes is his Magallanes. last name from Mexico. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so this is not St. Christopher that people might have on a medal for patron saint of travelers or surfers or whatever. No. no. St. Christopher... Magallanes was a, a priest in Mexico, and during the um, the Cristeros uh, War. Okay, and um, I think some of our listeners are probably know about Blessed Miguel Pro, mm-hmm. 
or about St. Jose Sanchez del Rio. I think this is a period in, in, of history that um, I've read a lot about uh, when the church was really being severely persecuted in Mexico in the 1920s and I think into the 1930s. Um, during that time, when the church was being severely persecuted, it was, it was quite vicious, especially when a man by the name of Plutarco Calles became the, the president of Mexico. He had a lot of resentment to the Catholic Church. He was an atheist. And uh, when he was governor, before he was the president of the state of Sonora, he expelled all the Catholic priests. And then when he became uh, president of Mexico, it, was, it became more overt and violent uh, attack on Catholicism. Priests were being killed just for being priests. The people's re reaction to this persecution became known as the Cristero War. Hmm. So these are Catholics who, who fought back, and they're called the Cristeros because their battle cry was, long live Christ the King, viva Cristo Rey. So they're uh -huh. called the Cristeros. So if you saw the movie For Greater Glory, excellent movie, you know, that's about the Cristero War. And you saw, you know, young Jose Sanchez del Rio was, was uh, martyred. And uh, I love to talk about him with our young people, and there's a lot more devotion to him now. Uh -huh. And Blessed Miguel Pro, I pray for his canonization someday. But anyhow... Um, the feast that's, that, that were celebrated, Christopher, Father Christopher Magallanes, it's actually a feast of, of him and his companions. So this is a whole group of martyrs that uh, Pope John Paul II, there are 25 of them, that he canonized in the Jubilee year 2000. 22 of them were diocesan priests. Three were wow. laymen who were part of the Cristeros. But in any event... Uh, he was caught in the storm. I mean, he was just a good, humble priest, serving faithfully for many years, came from a poor background, and he was on his way to another village to celebrate Mass on the Feast of St. Rita. There was a shootout nearby between the federal government forces and the Cristeros, and that led to his arrest, even though he wasn't part of it. And another priest, Father Caloca, Father Augustine Coloca, there was no accusation, no trial, no defense. Priests had no civil rights in Mexico at that time. And these two priests were led to the courtyard of a city building, a uh, government building, and they put him before a firing squad. This is what he said right before he died. He said, I am innocent and die innocent. I absolve with all my heart those who seek my death and ask God that my blood bring peace to a divided Mexico. Hmm. Then he gave absolution to the other priests, and the other priests gave absolution to him. And then Father Caloca, his last words were, for God we live, lived, and for him we die. Hmm. And they were both shot by the firing squad. Those are two that we celebrate on uh, May 22nd. Or May 21st, I'm sorry, May 21st. But then the other uh, 23 as well. As I said, three laymen and 22 diocesan priests that we remember on May 21st. All right. That's great. I hadn't heard of it before. And uh, for greater glory, still on my 
need to watch list. You haven't watched it yet? I haven't seen it, no. Oh, you've got to. I don't know where you find it. I don't, is it on Netflix, I think? I'm not sure. Maybe. Do you have Netflix? I do not. Oh, well, I don't know how you find it. I'll find it somewhere. (laughs) All right, Sunday, May 23rd, coming up is Pentecost Sunday. So this will kind of wrap up our Easter season, 50 days after Easter. You had mentioned talking about an optional second reading for the Mass, which is Galatians 5. So we've got a couple different options for Pentecost Sunday Mass readings. Yes. Yeah, there's different options, and the priest gets to choose. And one of the options is Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. And, And I'm, you know, that's a passage that, at least part of that, not the whole thing, I'll sometimes use for confirmation masses. So okay. I'll ta- I like to talk about the fruits of the Holy Spirit. So that's where the list is. Mm-hmm. But the reading that, that if, if the priest chooses it as the option for mass on Pentecost, uh, maybe to read it and talk about it. I, sure. I, I find it very helpful. Um, here it is. Brothers and sisters, live by the Spirit, and you will certainly not gratify the desire of the flesh. For the flesh has desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you may not do what you want. But if you are guided by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Immorality, impurity, lust, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, rivalry, jealousy, outbursts of fury, acts of selfishness, dissensions, factions, occasions of envy, drinking bouts, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also follow the Spirit. You know, I think it's important to understand what St. Paul means when he's talking about the flesh. Mm -hmm. Because we're not talking here about, like, the body, so to speak, okay? okay? When Scripture speaks of the flesh, there's kind of different emphases or some different meanings. So you have to kind of know what the context is and what the meaning is. In this case, what St. Paul calls the flesh is this inclination, this self-centered inclination within each of us that opposes God's will, this tendency to sin. Is that concupiscence? um, Concupiscence, exactly. The opposite and really the good news is that the Holy Spirit that we received, the Spirit of God's Son that we received through faith and baptism, provides us with an interior power to overcome the flesh and to live in a way that's pleasing to God. In other words, to be like Christ. This doesn't just happen automatically by being baptized and confirmed. In other words, we have to cooperate with the grace Mm-hmm. Okay, we have to, it requires our active cooperation. So there's this conflict between the spirit and the flesh within us. Paul is saying, okay, this is what the flesh produces. In other words, if we're 
living in that self-centered way. And this is what the Spirit produces. And of course, we're called to cooperate with the Holy Spirit to become more Christ-like. And Paul, you know, speaks of the uh, resisting the desires of the flesh, these human tendencies that are contrary to God's love. Mm -hmm. He says, as I, I read, the flesh has desires against the spirit. This, this is referring to these strong emotions, these, these disordered desires, okay? And, you know, we need inner power from God to overcome these desires, these disordered desires. Our human strength isn't sufficient. And of course, that inner power comes from the Holy Spirit. Paul is telling the Galatians then to live by the Spirit, live by the power of the Spirit, live by the light of the Spirit. And if you do, he says, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, these dis disordered inclinations mm -hmm. of our fallen human nature. It's important to remember the spirit's stronger than the flesh and brings victory over it. That's that's important too. This um, God's power is always greater. I guess you could say, okay, how do we know if we're living according to the flesh or or if we're living by the spirit? Uh -huh. uh, the apostle Paul gives these works of the flesh. He gives that whole list. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not an exhaustive list. It's not meant to be exhausted. Uh, but it says, if you know, like, what do you see? If we see these kinds of behaviors in us, then we know, okay, we're living by the flesh. And he gives that whole list of, I mean, violations of chastity. He, he lists immorality, which is the Greek word porneia. That's any improper use of sexuality, like fornication or prostitution. He talks about uh, other things, idolatry. Um, he talks about sorcery. He lists hatreds, rivalry, jealousy, outbursts of fury, orgies. You know, all these things are indications of they're all works of the flesh, and and they're repulsive. They're they're harmful. Um, one will not inherit the kingdom of God if, mm -hmm. in this way. So, but he gives the contrast, but he doesn't say fruits of the Holy Spirit. I usually, we usually speak about the fruits of the Holy Spirit, but he, it's interesting. He, he speaks of works of the flesh in the plural, mm -hmm. but he speaks of one fruit of the spirit. And then he lists nine. And huh. I think the reason it's in the singular is the idea is this is really the character of, of the lives of people who are, led by the Holy Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit, these are all manifestations of a life according to God's will, begins with love. I mean, that's always at the very heart, uh, generous love, because the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. who has been given to us. And then if one lives in love, what happens is the next fruit, joy, hmm. and the next fruit, peace. The Holy Spirit establishes peace in our hearts when we're living a life of love. Mm -hmm. He lists some particular qualities as well, like patience. Love is patient. Mm -hmm. Kindness, you know, this idea of being ready to help and to serve others. Uh, he lists generosity. Sometimes that's translated goodness. We're giving to others, faithfulness, gentleness. We don't use violence, you know. 
and then self-control. So this is about character and then and conduct transformed by the Holy Spirit who the Father sent into our hearts. I think this um, exhortation of of, uh, of St. Paul, let us follow the Spirit. Let, you know, live by the Spirit. And then we are set free from the domination of the flesh, of this, uh, these self-centered and uh, ultimately harmful behaviors. It's interesting how he says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. It's a very strong sentence. And the reason that we speak about Christ's crucifixion is it's, it's being united with Christ in his self-giving love, and that brings freedom. Hmm. And this is really valuable for our spiritual life. You know, it shows us what the path of true freedom is. This freedom from the, the law is really freedom from our own ego. And that only comes when we're free or victorious over our self-centered tendencies. We're called to be docile to the Holy Spirit and to live. If we live by this in the Spirit, St. Paul says, let us also follow the Spirit. You mentioned that the works of the flesh isn't an exhaustive list. Are the the fruit of the Spirit, is that list, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, is that an exhaustive list? No. I mean, you could add other virtues. I mean, I think, um, for example, in the uh, some traditional Catholic lists of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, they'll list 12, hmm. even though St. Paul in his letter to the Galatians only lists nine. For example, uh, and I'm trying to remember, I think perhaps chastity and modesty are added. Although when you think about it, they kind of overlap. Sure. Because that could be seen also as part of self-control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, people can check that out if you don't hear it at Mass on Sunday, because there are other options. It's Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. And any other thoughts or reflections on Pentecost? It's a great feast, the last day of the Easter season. So I encourage everyone to celebrate the great gift of the Holy Spirit and the beginning of the church's mission. And I think, too, to reflect on our own confirmation, which is kind of our version of the apostles yeah. going through Pentecost. And whenever we think of the story of Pentecost, think that happened to us at confirmation. I think sometimes that may have happened you know, when we were younger and, and maybe we weren't really aware of what was happening or, or uh. didn't, we don't feel like anything happened. It was just a, a hoop that we jumped through or whatever. But to realize this is a real thing where we, we are given these gifts of the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Well, also it's, you know, confirmation is a sacrament of mission. Mm. Pentecost began right. with, uh, you know, the mission of the church, its evangelizing mission. Just think about that. It was then after they were strengthened by the Holy Spirit that the apostles right away went out of the upper room right. and went into the streets of Jerusalem. And, and, and really the Christian community then was, was established there. And then from there into Judea, Samaria, and, and up in the city of Antioch, and eventually over into the Mediterranean. And so I think that's important too, that, that the church would never have gotten off the ground if it wasn't for Pentecost, mm-hmm. um, that's what gave them the strength and the inspiration 
to go out to all the world as Jesus commanded them to do. Right. All right. Well, if you have any questions for Bishop, you can text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And before we go, could we get your Episcopal blessing? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Next week, hear Bishop and Kyle talk about two important celebrations we have coming up at the end of the month. The Feast of St. Paul VI, who wrote seven encyclicals, including Humanae Vitae, and then the Solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity. To access the entire archive of Truth in Charity episodes, just do a search on your favorite podcast app, then hit subscribe, and you'll know as soon as a new episode is available. Have a favorite episode? Share it with a friend. If you have a question you'd like Bishop to answer on a future episode or maybe a show idea, submit it by going to RedeemerRadio.com askbishop or download the free Redeemer Radio app onto your smartphone or tablet and select Ask Questions. Truth in Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.